Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thank you, Dave. Kim just reminded me to tell you that the uh, Bible's next to you. If you don't have a Bible there for, your, for you to keep, um, the bells are not. And so if uh, you can either just leave them there or return them down the front, there's a bucket down the front at the end of the service, that would be great and we'll be able to continue mainly music next year. Can't run without the bells. Today we start a new three-week Christmas series called The Promise, The Prayer and The Prince. The title of today's message is The Promise and we're looking at the most extraordinary promise of the most precious gift that was ever given. Promises can be beautiful things. They bring an incredible sense of security and confidence and hope. And when a promise is kept, it brings much joy. But when a promise is broken, it can bring great disappointment. Maybe if you're a kid here today, you're looking forward to Christmas because you've been promised some amazing gift for Christmas that you're really looking forward to. I remember a time in my life when I was promised uh, an amazing gift. It wasn't really a gift because I was paying for it. But it was a gift that someone was getting for me. But I remember when I received it, it was nothing like what I expected. It was about 15 years ago and we had a distant relative going off to the US for an extended trip. And I was mildly excited for her, but I was more excited about what she could do for me while she was there. And so I'm a keen follower of the NBA, the basketball. Uh, Back then I was a super keen follower. And I had a favourite basketballer whose name was Tracy McGrady. And he played for the Orlando Magic. And I really wanted to get hold of one of his basketball singlets. Not one that he wears, but just one of his uh, replica singlets. Now, these days it doesn't seem like a big deal because every second teenager you see has an NBA jersey. But back then, um, they were a bit rare and they were kind of hard to get. And so I was really excited about her going to the US. And so I got her on a good day. And I asked her if she'd mind getting me one of those singlets while she was there. And she said she was happy to do it. And so I did some research. And I found out that they would cost about $100 Australian. And so I gave her the money, along with some strict instructions, 
of the player that I wanted, the size of the singlet, and the team they played for. Now, she was gone for a few weeks, and it seemed like a long time. You know when you're kind of waiting for something, and I'm a little bit impatient by, by personality, and so I couldn't wait for her to come back for this singlet. And the day came where she rang Kim, and she said, the singlet's here, I brought it back, and Kim went and picked it up. And she rang me at work and said, Luke, uh, the singlet came today. I'm picking it up and I'll have it at home tonight. And so I was really excited. I packed up, I rushed home and I was ready to get this singlet. And Kim handed me the bag. And as soon as I opened the bag, I knew something had gone horrifically wrong. (laughs) Because what I saw was an old school black Orlando singlet rather than the modern blue, light blue one that I was expecting. And so I pulled this singlet out of the bag And I looked at it, and I turned it around, and on the back, it didn't say Tracy McGrady, it said Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal. By this stage, he was a star for the Los Angeles Lakers, he hadn't played for Orlando Magic for years, and so I picked out this singlet, and I I noticed it looked pretty big, and I looked at the, uh, the, the tag on the back, and it said XXL. Now, I've put on some weight over the years, um, but even if you got me an XXL now, I reckon that would be a stretch of our friendship. And so back then, I was a lot skinnier, and you can imagine an XXL is not what I asked for. And so now, I put on this singlet one time only, and I found out that I had a glorified miniskirt. <laughs> of a player I didn't like, playing for a team he never, he didn't play for anymore, and it was something that I had paid $100 for. I know, it was an awful moment. I'm still struggling with it. It was a broken promise that hurt the hip pocket. Promises can bring great joy, but a broken promise can bring great heartache. And I got thinking this week, what are the greatest promises we make in our lives? And I couldn't go past the promises that we make on our wedding day. They are incredibly powerful promises. On our wedding day, I stood up and I said to Kim, I made promises to her that I mean to keep, that I will keep, um, God, God willing, God helping me with that. Um, but I promised that I would love her for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and it's been mainly the second one, uh, in sickness and in health, at the exclusion of all others. I committed my life to her as long as I live. And on the same day, she made the same promises to me, uh, except she also promised to unconditionally love and support the St Kilda Football Club. Um, She has not been faithful to that promise, and she's not acknowledged it even was there, but I believe it was there in the fine print. But we make incredible promises on our wedding day. Yet even the greatest promises we make in life, it's fair to say sometimes they're difficult to keep. We make them before our... Um, the person we love the most on earth and in front of our family and friends and ultimately be before God as well. But promises can be hard to keep as we see in so many marriages today. In today's passage and in the Christmas story, we come to the greatest promise, the greatest promise that was ever made. And I want to stop here for a moment because the vast majority of us in this room are Christian people. And if you're not, uh, even if you're not a Christian, you would have heard this story many times before. And the danger is that we just become really familiar with it. And we become a bit ho-hum about the Christmas story. And we we kind of go into autopilot and we think, oh, yeah, well, I've kind of heard all this before. And so the next few weeks, we're going to go through Jesus' birth. And yeah, I know it all. And and I just want to encourage us today not to be ho-hum about Christmas. My prayer today is that we would be captured afresh by the miracle and by the wonder of Jesus Christ. Because in this angelic visit in Luke chapter 1, God is making a promise that will change human history. This is an incredible moment. 
He's making a promise that will alter the eternal destination of billions of people. This is a moment in history that if you're a Christian man or woman here today, you should be eternally grateful for. We should wake up every day and go, wow, God is awesome that he would send his son for me. And so let's not be ho-hum this Christmas time about this incredible promise that was made. This is a promise to Mary, but also it's a promise to you and me that we can take great confidence in. It's a, it's a promise that we can build our lives upon. And what makes this promise so powerful is the person who's making it. This promise is being made by God. And unlike us, God is 100% faithful to his word. And so when he promises something, we can be sure it's going to come to pass. And so Gabriel, the angel, Luke chapter 1, explains why the promise of Jesus is so life-changing. And so let's look today at what uh, how he describes Jesus and what he would be like. The first thing he says is that Jesus will be great. Verse 28, the angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. It's the equivalent of the name Joshua, means the Saviour or the Lord is salvation. Verse 32, he will be great. Jesus will be great. Yesterday I went to Gold Class. We had tickets to go to the movies and we went and saw a movie which is close to the best movie I've ever seen. It was a phenomenal movie. It was called Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you've heard of an incredible uh, movie of faith and a movie about a guy. Wayne just says amen to everything. I love that. Just, um, it's like he's programmed every few minutes, amen. And I feel encouraged and he feels inspired and Hacksaw Ridge, amen. Uh, but it was a great movie. Let me read you the blurb today about what Hacksaw Ridge is about. Hacksaw Ridge is the extraordinary true story of Desmond Doss, who during the bloodiest battle of World War II saved 75 men without firing or carrying a gun. He was the only American soldier in World War II to fight on the front lines without a weapon as he believed that while war was justified, killing was nevertheless wrong. As an army medic, he single-handedly rescued the wounded from behind enemy lines, braved fire while tending to soldiers, and was injured by a grenade and hit by snipers. Dost was the conscientious objector, the first one, that was awarded the Congregational, Congressional Medal of Honor, which is the highest military honor in the U.S., awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. Um, if you can handle blood and guts, because it is very, very gory, um, real gore, obviously, but it's a phenomenal um, story of a man and the faith he had in God, and a man who was willing to stand by his convictions no matter what. And so I left that movie thinking, I have just seen a movie about a, a true-life character, a real-life story of a man who was truly great in so many ways. Last night I backed it up with a Coldplay concert. And speaking of great, Chris Martin is a great entertainer. A phenomenal entertainer. And so I was treated to a concert. I took my daughter to her first concert ever. And it was an excuse for me to go and justify it to Kim. And so I took Taylor <laughs> along for her birthday. And uh, it was a great night. But there was a great entertainer on the stage. And we often talk about people in life, don't we? Who have achieved greatness in their area of expertise. Uh, philanthropists, actors, business owners, movie stars, sportsmen. Just last week I watched an interview with Barack Obama. And Michael Jordan, after he presented Jordan with the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his achievement and impact on the world through the game of basketball. And he referred to him as a great of the game. 
He said, in fact, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketballer that's ever played. And he said, the reason we know that he's the greatest is because people use his name to describe other people who are the best in their field. And so they will say, Michael Jordan, uh, sorry, that person is the Michael Jordan of whatever. And so my mum is the Michael Jordan of cooking. (laughs) Sorry, my wife is the Michael Jordan (laughs) of cooking. They are both. The Michael Jordan of cooking. I've got the evil eyes from two people in the front row and I cannot look that side anymore for the rest of the sermon. But there are many men and women who've done phenomenal things in life, extraordinary things, and we often refer to them as great. But when it comes to greatness, there is nobody who has ever existed or who will ever exist that is even worth putting in the same sentence as Jesus Christ. The promise made here is that Mary would give birth to a son who would not only be truly great, but he indeed would be the greatest man ever to live. The word great in the Greek is the word megas, from which we get the word mega. It means big, exceedingly great, high, large, mighty and strong. And the truth is even a sentence like that does not have the words to describe who Jesus is and all that he's achieved. In Mary's, Mary's era, uh, sorry, era of history, the people were living in the shadow of some great historical figures. Alexander the Great in about 320 BC was a a great figure and Julius Caesar, even closer, only 40 years before Jesus, were two men who had preceded Jesus in, in fairly recent history. They were great and powerful leaders and by some people, they were even seen as almost godlike. But the truth is that they were nowhere near it. They achieved some great victories, they did some impressive things, but in many ways they were just like you and me. They had doubts and fears and insecurities They made mistakes and they had many failures. They had good days and bad days and ultimately both of those men were defeated or disposed of as leaders of their kingdoms. They were fully human. And so I wonder what Mary had in mind when she heard the word great. When the angel came and said, this baby that you will give birth to will be great. Alexander may not have had the designated designated title great in Mary's day, but there these men would have been very much men that shaped people's perceptions of what great leaders look like. For the Jews at that stage, there was an expectancy that there was a, a Messiah to come. He would be born and he would be a great spiritual leader. The Jews expected that he'd also be a political and military leader because in order for the kingdom of God to be established on earth at that time as they fully expected that it would be, the Roman Empire, an incredibly powerful empire, would need to first be overthrown. And so I wonder what Mary expected. Well, what I do know is that Jesus would have been greater, greater than anything she would have imagined in her wildest dreams, because what made him truly great is the promise that he would be the son of the Most High. And that's the second thing the angel says. Jesus will be great, but he will be the son of the Most High. Years ago, most of you would know that I was a carpenter by trade, and I worked a lot of that time with my dad, And we used to get our timber from a place called Moorabbin Timber. I think I may have told this story before, but it's appropriate for today. And at Moorabbin Timber, they had a builder's room. And a builder's room is where you could go and photocopy plans and you could meet other builders and you could talk about quotes and you could have a coffee. Uh, Our family ended up calling that room the Bermuda Triangle because every time Dad went in there, he seemed to disappear for days on end. (laughs) But it was a builder's room designed to get some work done in in theory, and and there was one guy in that room that spent more time there than Dad, and he was a guy called Vince. 
Vince was a very loud and outspoken guy, always mucking around. He was the centre of attention. You might remember the day he hit a hole in one at the Rabbin Timber Golf Day. And you might think, well, how would I remember that? Well, you might have heard it when he hit it. When it went in, everybody in the course, I think everyone in the world could hear him celebrate this hole in one. He was a loudmouth, centre of attention kind of a guy. And we got to know Vince because we spent a lot of time in the builder's room. And Vince got to know that we're Christians. And because he was, uh, you know, loud and uh, a bit obnoxious in some ways, he found out that I was studying part-time at Bible college at that stage. And he used to stir us up and give us a hard time about our faith. And so when we rocked up to Mrab and Timber, he'd see Dad come in, and I'd be with Dad, and he'd yell out, God's here, talking about Dad. And then he'd go, and he's got Soggy with him. Now, you might think, what is Soggy? Son of God. And he just, you know, made it longer. Soggy. And so oh, Dad was known as God, and I was known as Soggy. Now, this morning, I can confirm, after living with Dad for 21 years, that he is most definitely not God. And let's be honest, this morning, he's pretty blessed to have me as a son. Um, <laughs> But he'll probably confirm to you that I'm not Jesus. In fact, I'm far from it. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm becoming more like him. But I'm a long way off. And it won't happen until he returns. And in the twinkling of an eye, I'll become like him, as you will in Christ. But unlike any of us, and even unlike all the great leaders throughout history, what sets Jesus apart is that he was not only fully man, but he was also fully God. God in human form, the Son of the Most High. Well, you might think, well, how is that possible? Well, I think verse 37 of this passage is a, is a great reminder that all things are possible with God. And so if you have that worldview that we serve a God who can do all things, that he created the universe, that he can save every one of us, then, then you'll know there's nothing impossible for God. And so we, that's my starting point. That's my worldview. But I also think it's possible because we see the method of conception in this passage. In verse 32, it says, He will be great and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. In verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Once again, I wonder at this moment what was going through Mary's head. Every young Jewish girl would have dreamed to be the mother of the Messiah, but I'm sure she wouldn't have expected it to happen in this way. The Jews were expecting a great Messiah, but I don't believe they were expecting a Messiah to be divine. And so the expectation is this Messiah would be conceived, conceived in the normal way. And so even though Mary must have been incredibly excited at this good news, I also imagine her being terrified at the same time. How would she explain this in her culture to her friends and to her family and to uh, her husband? You may uh, trust your partner impeccably today. But if you were dating someone or you were married to someone and they said, guess what, surprise, I'm pregnant and you knew that there'd been no sexual activity, I imagine your first response wouldn't be one of overwhelming joy. Uh, my response would be, who is he? I knew that milkman was dodgy. Uh, that would be my response. I'd be thinking, who on earth, how has this happened? And if my wife said to me, oh, no, no, it's nothing like that. Uh, it didn't happen like that. The Holy Spirit came upon me. I think I'd be, I'd be moving further and faster away from joy really quickly. Because I'd be thinking, not only has she betrayed me, but now she's telling porkies. And so here we are in Mary's culture. She was in danger of being stoned for having sex outside of marriage for being unfaithful to her husband-to-be. And so this would have been an incredibly scary moment for her. Uh, for Joseph, it would have been difficult as well. I imagine at first he would have been embarrassed and ashamed. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, 
It said he was quietly considering divorcing her until the angel appeared to him as well. And so this was a time of great joy, but for Mary, a time of great turmoil as well. But it had to be this way, and this is what Jesus, uh, what sets Jesus apart. Jesus was born of a woman and was fully human, but was conceived by the Spirit so that he was fully divine. Gelden Heiss, in his commentary on Luke, says it was necessary for the Redeemer to be born of a woman so that he should be of the same nature as those whom he came to save. But it was just as imperative that he should be perfect holy since no sinful being can accomplish reconciliation for the sin of others. This is miraculous. And in the mind of God, this is perfect wisdom that Jesus would leave the glory of heaven divine and come to earth as one of us, fully human, subject to the same temptations that we face that he could be our perfect sacrifice, qualified to ultimately die in our place. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sin because he was perfect in every way. He was dying for your sin and for my sin. And because he was without sin, he could take our punishment upon himself and die in our place. He died the death we deserve to die. And he got what we deserve to get. And that's the death penalty. This is what we know as amazing grace, that God would take our place for the things we've done wrong so that sin can be removed as an obstacle between us and a holy God that can be placed on his son where he died in our place so that we could be reconciled to God the Father. This is an incredible message. The gospel is so powerful and it all started in the story here at that first birth. What we're reading about is a supernatural birth of a divine king with eternal consequences. The third thing the angel says about Jesus is that he'll not only be great, he'll not only be the son of the most high, but he will be eternal. Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar were either defeated or disposed of as the leader of their kingdom. Since then, there have been many governments and many kings, presidents, prime ministers, politicians, and rulers. When kingdoms rise and fall and leaders come and go, Jesus' kingdom remains. It's unshakable, it's unbreakable because it's eternal. People have tried to stop it, divide it, destroy it and defy it, but it makes no difference because verse 33 says, his kingdom will never end. Just recently we had the US presidential elections and most of you are probably aware by now that Donald Trump was elected as the next president of the United States of America. And I heard a whole bunch of hysteria on Facebook after he was appointed. This is the beginning of the end, that our world's going to fall apart without him, that we've lost control and, and all of this sort of stuff. But if you're a Christian here today, we can simply say, no, it's not. No, it won't. Because we don't put our faith in a president or a prime minister or a government or any earthly king. Our faith is in Jesus. He's the eternal king, the promised king of kings, the Lord of lords, the name above every other name. And that's what makes Christmas such a wonderful occasion to remember that he was not only born, but he can become our saviour. This Christmas time, the story is still so powerful because we live on the other side of the promise. Christmas, we remember a promise that was made originally to Mary that has been kept because the one who made it is faithful. Jesus is truly great. He is the son of the most high and his kingdom is eternal. And if you're a Christian here today, you know that with all of your heart. That Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. 
You've experienced uh, his grace in your life as you received him as your Lord and Savior. You know forgiveness, which is an incredible thing. You know his presence in your life. You have received many of his promises and you are filled with hope that the rest is still to come when he returns. For the Christians here today, I pray this Christmas that you'd be blown away again, that you would be absolutely captured and reinvigorated by this incredible Christmas story, that you'd be once again reminded by God's grace and mercy that has been poured out upon you, not only through the birth of Jesus, but also through his death and resurrection and his promised return. But if you're not a Christian here today, and you're not in a relationship with God through his son Jesus, I believe that he wants you to be part of his eternal kingdom. And my prayer for you is that this Christmas, for the first time, he would capture your heart and become your king as well. Let me finish with John 3:16 and 17, probably the most famous verses in all of scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's what we remember at Christmas time, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. This is the promise that we remember at Christmas time.